Hello, welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa and I will be reading from the book Imagine Heaven by John Burke, forward by Don Piper. Near-death experiences, God's promises, and the exhilarating future that awaits you. Markers. Still playing with action figures on the floor, four-year-old Colton Burpo showed his dad a plastic horse. He asked his dad if he knew that Jesus had a horse. After answering a couple of questions that Todd asked about his experience of heaven, Colton made a curious comment. Jesus has markers. Todd asked if by markers he meant the kind Colton colored with. Colton said, yeah, like colors. He had colors on him. When asked what color, he answered, red, daddy. Jesus has red markers on him. Todd felt overwhelmed with an emotion as he suddenly understood what Colton was trying to say. He asked Colton where Jesus's markers were. Colton stood up, pointed to both hands, and then to the tops of his feet. That's where Jesus's markers are, daddy. Jesus came as God's suffering servant to overcome evil, pain, suffering, and death one willing person at a time, and he still has the markers to prove it. When Jesus' disciples saw him after the resurrection, Thomas was not present. Filled with doubt, Thomas said, I will not believe unless I stick my hand in the nail holes. The next week, Jesus appeared. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Apparently, Jesus's markers remain a permanent reminder that he loved us enough to enter our suffering and redeem it. As Gary stood before Jesus during his near-death experience, he noticed some nails had been driven into his hands. Not his palms, as some paintings depict, but into his wrists. Probably where palm and his wrists meet to bear the weight. It's hard to fathom the cruelty of humanity and even more difficult to imagine how Jesus could say as they pounded the nails through his flesh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Richard, a Jewish man who believed in Jesus, died in an auto accident and claimed he observed light coming out of the nail holes. Jesus held out his hands in front of me and I saw the nail scars. The wounds were open, shining with a beautiful light. David foresaw what Jesus would suffer, describing a vision of Messiah's crucifixion 1,000 years beforehand. Before crucifixion was even invented, all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. You lay me in the dust of my death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. This is how God would bless all nations just as he promised to Abraham. He would become the suffering servant who, like a judo master, takes the hardest punch evil can throw and turns it into the greatest good. Jesus proudly wears his scars of love in heaven for a reason we need to remember. 
Why suffering? But why suffer at all? If he is God, why not just create a world that bypasses all mourning, crying, pain, and suffering? I've come to believe this world and its suffering is necessary in order to accomplish God's goal for humanity to love God and love each other as his family forever. We must start from the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because love must be free. The freedom to choose or reject God's leadership is necessary for love. Imagine if a rich and powerful man fell in love with a beautiful woman. And he longed for her to fall in love with him. He could shower her with gifts, and she may decide she wants more of the goodies he can provide. But will that mean she loves him for who he is? No. Maybe his prestige and power give her access to the finest luxuries that make her want to be with him. But does that mean she loves him for who he is? No. And what if no amount of good gifts or reputation could win her heart and he got so desperate he kidnapped her and put a gun to her head trying to force her to love him? Can love be forced No, love cannot be bought, coerced, or forced. It must be freely chosen. Love that is not free to choose is not love at all. For God to create an eternally loving family, God chose to create creatures who can choose freely to reject him and thwart his love. His good gifts, his prestige, his power can't force our love. We must be free to choose. It's risky business because free-willed creatures who turn from God and thwart his love hurt each other. And when we get hurt, we often blame God and turn from the one who can heal us. Then hurting people hurt us and evil propagates from person to person, all of us feeling justified. Fork in the road. I was 16 and on the floor in my room in horrible agony. If there really was a God and he loved me, why had he let my father die? Downstairs, I could hear the post-funeral gathering, but I couldn't be with them. I just lost my father, my rock, my best friend. I needed to think. It felt like I'd hit a fork in the road, and this choice felt heavy. Part of me wanted to curse God and just live life however I wanted. After all, if he didn't care about me, why should I care about him? But then another thought pushed through my pain. If there's no God, there's no hope. Anything good will ever come from this pain. Life sucks. Then you die. If I trust what scripture says, that God does love me, maybe one day he'll make it right. My choice that day felt pivotal in my life. God never took away the pain, but as I cried out to him in trust, from my bedroom floor, I felt at peace and had a new thought. Okay, you'll have to be my father now. Years later, I read a father to the fatherless. In God, in his holy dwelling, I know now who put that thought in my head. Jesus told his followers that night before his crucifixion, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God never promises us a pain-free, trouble-free life. We live in a world where most of us pursue our will and ways more than God's will and ways. When we choose to go our own way, we create ripples of pain and hurt and suffering down through generations. Much 
human suffering is caused by humankind's own choices, but we can overcome evil through him, and he promises something good will come from our sufferings in the end. During his near-death experience, Dr. Alexander felt and understood the reasons suffering and evil exist. Without free will, evil is impossible, he explains. But without free will, humans cannot grow or move forward. Without free will, there is no opportunity for us to grow into what God yearns for us to be. The Creator allows evil to exist as a necessary consequence of the gift of free will. But he adds, free will comes at the cost of a loss or falling away from God's love and acceptance. Pains of birth. God promises to overcome evil one willing heart at a time, and when we turn back to Him, He will even make something good of all of our suffering. Yet when we suffer, now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them, Romans 8.18. And you know what I found? This isn't in the story, but what I find interesting as well. There are, it says in the scriptures, there are people that are known Christians who think they're going to heaven, but God is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's really important for us to check ourselves and try really, really hard not to be selfish, to give our all when we can to love God and have a personal relationship with God. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, you are not going to heaven. There are some people, yes, I believe in God. I go to church every week. I give tithes and I give to people. But do they ever pray to God? Did they give their life to him? No, they did not. But they think they're going to get to heaven on good works and because they believe in God and they believe in the Bible, but they didn't ask for forgiveness of their sins and they didn't invite him to come in to their life. You have to do that. Don't get to heaven just to hear God say, depart from me. I never knew you. If you think you're a good person and you're going to get to heaven that way, that is not the way you get to heaven. You could go to church seven days a week and sit there. Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yep. I believe every bit of that. That isn't going to get you into heaven, given your money. None of it. A good person doesn't get you into heaven. That is going to be a sad, sad day for people. So wake up, people. All of life is a birth canal into eternal life. One day all creation will come alive with God's life. It's what near-death experiencers notice. But for now, earth is mixed with the knowledge of good. God's good gifts wooing us to him alongside the pain, death, and decay of the knowledge of evil, constantly warning us 
that something's wrong. God doesn't want us to think that we're okay without him and miss the whole purpose of our existence. To choose God so we might live with him forever. And when we make that choice, he wants us, he wants us to grow in faithfulness so he can trust us with eternal rewards and responsibilities. Professor Howard Storm recalls during his near-death experience that Jesus and his angels told him, God not only knows everything that will come to pass in the future, but also, more importantly, God knows everything that could happen. He is aware of every possible variation and every possible outcome. God gives each of us free will. He won't violate our free will or dictate the outcome of everything. Yet at the same time, Jesus told Storm, the outcome will always serve God's purpose in the end, no matter how long it takes to unfold or how impossible it might seem. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. God's individual will for us is not always done on earth or he wouldn't have us pray for it. But God's ultimate will can be accomplished whether we choose his individual will or not. But why does God remain so hidden? It seems if we could see God, then we could better choose God. But even seeing God does not eradicate our need to walk in faith. Captain Black reflects how confusing it was to realize this. I had clearly seen heaven and was so changed by the experience. Why did I fail again and again to be the man I truly wanted to be? Why did I fail often to the reflection of what I had seen and heard and learned? I guess seeing heaven didn't change the fact that I'm human. Life is all about learning to love God and to trust while we can't see him, because then we will forever choose to love and follow him throughout eternity when we can see him. That's why we don't see him face to face now. But why not just create free-willed creatures who do see him? He did. Understanding their story helps make sense of ours. Angels, 11-year-old Jennifer was in a severe car accident and left her body. She saw her limp and lifeless body below. A spiritual being told her, his nose is cut off his face. You will need to go back and help him. He's bleeding to death. Jennifer said, no, let somebody else do it. He'll be fine without my help. I do not want to go back down there. No. The voice said, I will tell you what to do. You take off his shirt after you pick up his nose off the floorboard of the car. It will be next to your feet and his right foot. Place his nose on his face, pressing down to stop the bleeding. It's just blood, so don't be afraid. So then, Jennifer... You will begin to walk him up the right side of the road and a car will come. Tell the man to take you to the nearest hospital. When Jennifer returned to her body, everything happened as she was told. A car stopped and carried them to the hospital. She was able to calm both the anxious driver and the man who lost his nose. And there was a happy ending. A skin graft was used to reattach the nose with barely a scratch left to notice. 
The astonished emergency room doctor said, I cannot explain what kind of miracle I just witnessed in this emergency room. We know when evil, pain, and suffering hurt us, but we do not know how often God orchestrates his angels to care for us. Angels are God's servants sent to help people. Are they beings or just mythological? Well, just imagine God's unlimited creativity. There seems to be no end to it. Billions of stars clustered in billions of galaxies and on just one planet orbiting one star, he's created over 7 million species of creatures, as best scientists can estimate. We've only cataloged 1.2 million. God has also created spiritual creatures who do not live confined to time in space as we do. One species we call angels. Angel literally means messenger. Angels are referred to 196 times in scripture. Humans do not become angels, meaning we don't go through a species change, but we can be messengers. As you've probably noticed, near-death experiencers often report seeing angels. Marv Besteman noticed, my angels look like regular guys, except regular guys usually don't wear white robes. Both looked in their mid-40s and stood about 5'8 to 5'10. One had longish brown hair and the other had shorter hair. Neither one of them had wings, though he later saw winged creatures. They can appear much like human beings or they can shine with the radiant light. Less brilliant than the radiance of God, but still quite impressive. Most do not have wings, though some creatures do. Ezekiel 1. Dale Black reported angels coming in pairs. I moved effortlessly along the road escorted by my two angelic guides. Marv and other near-death experiencers noted, noted the same. Beside me stood two angels who would always accompany me. After noticing this trend, I recalled Jesus' statement. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels, plural, in heaven, always see the face of my Father in heaven. What are angels and what do they do? With so much increased interest in angels come many diverse opinions. I'd like to show you what the scriptures say and how our world of suffering may tie into their story in heaven. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Scripture teaches that angels are spirit creatures who live in God's realm, but they can interact with earth in order to serve people and accomplish God's will. Even in heaven, God accomplishes his will through free will cooperation of angels. Some are guardian angels assigned to an individual. Some are assigned to churches. Some are over cities or nations. And some were cast out of heaven. Fallen angels. Not every spiritual being is benevolent. Jeffrey Burton Russell, professor of history at the University of California, Santa Barbara, is a leading historian on the topic of evil. He says the problem of evil exists in every single worldview and religious tradition except radical relativism. Russell points out 
that although modern people have tended to believe less and less in a supernatural evil force, the practical experience of evil has not decreased but maybe even increased in our society. The Hebrew Old Testament prophets taught there are unseen spiritual beings at work in the world. The Hebrew word that is translated Satan means adversary, accuser, devil. Diabolus means one who divides. In the New Testament, Jesus confronted demonic forces. And Russell notes how most cultures have attested to demonic spiritual forces at work throughout history. Now, this is where people conjure up all kinds of silly images of devils in red suits with tails and pitchforks. What scripture teaches is nothing like we've seen But evil would love for us to laugh it off. After all, the best terrorist is the one you don't know about. Russell, a historian, says the suggestion that Jesus' belief in the devil was merely part of a primitive worldview poses serious difficulties. Former atheist and college professor Howard Storm experienced evil messengers and benevolent angels firsthand, an experience that changed him forever. He says angels move through time and space at will, not bound by laws of physical nature. They also protect us from evil we can't see and aren't even capable of imagining. Again, watch the movie Divination. This isn't in the book, but this will show you how your angels are fighting on your behalf. It's crazy. Our angels are ever vigilant to protect us from evil that originates from other dimensions of the unknown universes. They are keeping us safe. There exist supernatural beings that seek chaos. They have no power over us except the power we give them. They are known as demons, the devil, and evil spirits. Please remember that. They have no power over you except what you give them. If you're afraid of them, they're going to taunt you, and they know you're afraid of them. You can stand up and speak against them. The Lord rebuke you, and they have to flee. Please remember that if you're scared. You just keep saying that. They have to listen to you. You need to say it with authority. You need to tell them they don't have power over you. You have power over them. God gave you as a child. If you're God's child, if you're not God's child, you don't have power over them. (laughs) So that is just the uh, power that God gives you as a child of God. Okay, back to the book. Angels were created to love and serve God, and they were created with the free will before humans. Some of the angels followed the most beautiful, powerful angel created, Lucifer, which means light bearer. Lucifer was created good. He's not God's equal opposite, nor the only source of evil. Created by God with a free will, Lucifer's downfall was his pride. God says through Ezekiel the prophet, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, high ranking angel, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you 
to the earth. When Lucifer fell, he persuaded a third of heaven's angels to follow him. He wanted to be God. And as Ezekiel 28 indicates, his evil angel's most powerful lie is to persuade us to play God of our little universe, my will be done, instead of allowing God to be God, God's will be done. That's got to be terrible because they know they're losers in the end and they followed Satan and now they are doomed for hell. There's nothing they can do. There's no going back. If you go to hell, you're done. You're staying in hell for eternity. There's no coming out of hell. There's no place that you're going to lie in state until you're prayed into heaven. When you die, your spirit, you are going to be greeted by angels or demons, one of the two, and then you're going to go to your destiny. Please make sure you're prepared. I want to thank everyone for joining me. Until next time, have a blessed week. God bless.